So, welcome to the Rockin' Life podcast, Rockin' Life After Divorce. And today we have a guest with us, Sonia White. Welcome to the show today. Uh, hello to you, Per. Good morning to you. Good, Good morning to me in the United Kingdom. Yeah, and I'm over in Dallas, Texas. So it's yeah. morning, morning time here. I it's am amazing so... how small the world is. Yeah, it's become very small whenever this pandemic started. So we started yeah. having uh, a lot of Zoom calls, and uh, I really, really enjoy actually connecting with a lot of different people. So for me, it's actually been a blessing in disguise. Hardly much change for me because I've always been a little Zoom baby. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I do most of my coaching on Zoom. Yeah. Um, well, it used to be Skype, but now we moved on to Zoom. So yeah, yeah, I have actually, I just started doing Zooming here a few a few months ago, but it's actually mm. been really fun. And I love interviewing new people and I love connecting. Mm. So yeah, Sonia, I just got to know you uh, about a month ago or something, and uh, mm-hmm. we've been chatting a few times before, and uh, I really love your work. And at this podcast, my goal is to both talk to people that have gone through a very difficult time, most of the time in divorce, uh, going through the, the whole thing about coping and, and working through divorce in a good way, and interviewing people that have done that. But also interview coaches that help people going through divorce. And matter of fact, you've gone through divorce yourself and mm-hmm. you're a coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, your coaching practice is called uh, Conscious Uncoupling. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about both you and uh, just a, a little introduction to you, what you do. I live in the United Kingdom with my family, which also includes cats and dogs. I'm one of those people who likes both. And I went through a divorce, oh gosh, about eight years ago. It was one of the most devastating, traumatic experiences of my life. Now when I look back on it, I see that it was one of the catalysts of my life. Um, while I you know, may not have chosen that, it was a profound Uh, transformative experience in my life because I chose to make it that way. And I chose to do that with a process called conscious uncoupling, which is the process that I coach. And that is a scientifically proven five-step program. And it's, it's a spiritual and transformative path. Yes, there's things like logistics and there's co-parenting and a lot of practical details that you have to deal with. And at the same time, there are these emotions. There's maybe a broken heart. There's um, confusion about what has happened. There's fear um, about now and, and your future. And this is also taken care of in an absolutely beautiful way so that there is the possibility of a healing journey as well as the logistics journey. So we go through um, five steps, as I said, and each of those steps is geared towards a specific thing, a oh, specific wow. part of the healing process. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, do you have any examples of uh, uh, people that you have helped and, and how does that look like? Do you have like a story you can share that uh, you've gone from uh, a, a difficult or 
uh, a person that has a very big difficulty and being able to move through. How does that work? I have plenty of stories. Um, and one thing I need to just add as well is that I'm an expat. So while I'm born and raised in the United Kingdom, I spent 30 years out in Asia. And that's where I actually had my, uh, you know, where my divorce occurred. Okay. So um, that adds an extra layer to uh, a scenario because um, when you're not in your home country, your legal rights are are very different and you're a lot more isolated um, and alone with uh, your situation. I'm thinking particularly of, I'm not going to name any of my clients. And if I say a name, it is not their name. So I'm thinking of Sue, who was one of my clients who, she spent most of her life being what she believed was the perfect wife. So she did not speak up against her, uh, her husband. She ignored the voices in, in her head and even in her gut that were telling her that things are not going right. And she also, for the sake of her family, decided that she wasn't going to pursue what she wanted in life, okay. which was a career as an artist. So yeah. when she went through the process, guess what? That's what she became, and she's now, she's now um, exhibiting. Oh wow! Mm. Yeah, so mm. so she started to get to know her own passion and uh, her own wants and what she wanted to do. She 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 connected to all of that. At the beginning, there was a lot of blame, like you know, you I sacrificed all of this for for you. But again, in conscious uncoupling, stuck being stuck in blame, yeah you need to be heard, but that's not going to get you forward. No, it's, it's about, you know, now take ownership, now take responsibility. And what do you want? Oh, that's good. And she was scared. She was very afraid. And I think that's a very common um, place to be. And when you don't know what your future is, it's kind of scary, right? Yeah. And I hear so many stories about blame and, how do you work through blame? And for example, when I went through a divorce five years ago, I entered into some of these divorce groups on Facebook and it was so much blame and it toxic. And so I just scared away from there. It was like, it was mm-hmm. so bad in many of these uh, sites, just blaming, ex-bashing. And uh, how do you so work through hurt. that? How, yeah. how do you, but a person, and I hear that from people too, that people that, um, I meet that are going through a divorce, including my friend. He has, he has so much blame at the other person, at the ex-wife or ex, ex-husband. But how do you help people move through that? The thing about blame is, think about this. Think about the part of you that's blaming and the part of you that's blaming, if you, if you look at it from an archetypal perspective, which I do, I, I, I do that a lot, is the victim. Yeah. And we all know what the victim, and if I say that word, you kind of get what that means. It's someone who feels powerless, yeah. someone who feels they have no agency, someone who feels that wrong has been done. Yeah. Now, I don't want to say that wrong has not been done. I'm not here to say that you have not suffered and that things have, have happened that are 
egregious in some of the situations that I've heard. I'm not here to say that. And that needs to be heard and, and understood and, you know, allowed to be expressed. However, blaming means that you are still, still the victim of this situation. And is that really what you want? And this is part of where we go very, very delicately in conscious uncoupling to say, well, what part did you play in that? Yeah. And they're going to turn by that push back. What are you saying? He's just (laughs) stolen all of our money. What do you mean? Yeah. And then, you know, yeah, of course you stole the money, but how was the situation that he was able to do that? Oh, well, I was never involved with the money. Now we have somewhere to begin. We're not blaming. We're not judging either. It's saying, and there was a part of you that wanted to allow him to be in charge of everything. And then you can start to say, yeah, that's so. And this is a very simple, and it's not the most brilliant um, example, but then you begin to say, yeah, I don't, want to do certain roles in life. I wanted him to take care of me. Well, that's your job. Yeah. And so we start, and then you realize, oh, if I start to take care of me, then I get to be able to be fully responsible. And then blame eventually, with forgiveness comes as well, it begins to move away. When you when you blame yourself, I was so st- dumb how could I have been such a fool that's not blame that's actually shame and then it's chance to move out if you could have done any better in that circumstance you would have yeah so then we figure out well how did we end up here and usually that's going to come from patterns that have gone on in your life from very very young and they've been repeated in this scenario with such a painful outcome does that make sense oh yeah i totally understand and uh have the experience of it as well Mm. and the interesting thing is is that the more you take responsibility the more you claim back what is yours yeah which are your thoughts absolutely your words and your deeds yeah then you blame slips away because you become a different person such that that energy, that person doesn't even, you know, and that's the thing. I, I went, I actually had on the 31st of August was the, my wedding anniversary. And I got halfway through my day and went, Oh, not even triggered. Yeah. And I, that was a little celebration in my mind that, yeah, it's not the first time it was a, Oh, it was a devastating experience. I, 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 fell back into a deep hole of depression. But this time, not at all. It was more, right, now what's going on in my life, which was a lot of other exciting things, and I didn't need to do that. Yeah, it's been very similar to me. Um, I got a a counselor quite early on after the divorce, and then I got a coach and a mentor also through the John Maxwell team. And that was actually the best things I did to be able to move through. But the feelings took a long time. It took several years before I I felt okay. I went through extreme loneliness, probably similar to you, because I had just moved the family from Sweden to the U.S. 
didn't have a lot of friends here. So that, of course, made it more difficult you know, to, to work through this process of removing blame. How long does it take? I know it's different, different for every single person, but is it like uh, a month or if it, is it months or years or how long does it take? Sweetheart, I wish it was a month. People would pay me a lot of money if yeah. it was a month. What, what can happen is, is that you start to become aware. Yeah. And as soon as your eyes are open on anything, that's a, that's a minor miracle, really, because you can't go back. Yeah. And so the work comes. It's a complicated question because it depends, first of all, what kind of person you are. Are you a sensitive person? Are you an, an extrovert person? Are you an introvert person? Maybe what are your Clifton? You know, we all have our own personalities and our ways of handling situations which will have come from our childhoods and the way yeah. we observed the caregivers around us. How long does it take? Let's do this. I'm your client. We'll play a game. Right. And uh, I'm an introvert myself. The difference between an extrovert and introvert, if you recharge by yourself, an introvert, if you recharge among people, then you're an extrovert. Mm. Uh, but I am very outgoing. But that's something that I've taught myself because I've been in sales my whole life. And mm-hmm. I, I don't have a problem to connect with people, but it's taken a long time to, to practice that. But uh, mm. so I'm an introvert. How would you handle me as a client? If you just very briefly share what, what's the process like for somebody else, for example, sitting at home right now with a lot of blame, they're listening to this. How is this process look like? When you're dealing with an introvert, it is to do with the fact that they they can take things on personally that are not theirs. I love coaching one-on-one because you take each person, you know, as I begin to feel into what it is that they're doing. However, the thing that can happen is, is that you can have certain behavioral patterns. People who are perhaps introvert were in a way taught to be that way, that your voice doesn't matter or that, you know, children should be seen and not heard. But also it's genuine that you get your energy from your internal processes. But also are you a thinker or are you a feeler? If you're a thinker, then I'm going to coach you, you you know, generally trying to get you into your mind. I'm a thinker. Yeah. Well, we you can use your mind, but I it's also what about the wisdom of your body? Yeah. What about the wisdom that comes from what I would call your soul or your highest self? Yeah. So that getting because you can't logic your way out of a lot of situations. No. And why? Because your mind can only operate on data it already has. Exactly. It builds neural pathways based on, oh, this reminds me of that situation. We didn't like that situation, so we're going to do this because that's what worked. So we're going to repress all our emotions. And all of that happened in fractions of a second. And so being able to catch, when I get triggered by my former partner is always looking at other women or other men, you know, something like that, then I'm going to become angry. 
There are many choice points along there where you get to break the pattern and do something different, but something which is empowering for you. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to say whether a man should or shouldn't, you know, that's not the thing. The thing is, is how do we reduce the pain? Yeah, exactly. The suffering and the, the thinking that has gone. And also what are you going to choose to do moving forward? What is the decision that is coming from your calmest, wisest self, as opposed to your angry, uh, vindictive, or hurt self, your hurt self, or your anger, your is coming from a, a, an energy that was created in you between the ages of naught and nine, and you're asking a nine-year-old to take charge of you when you're in your forties. Does it make sense? Oh yeah, and uh, for me. I wasn't in touch with my feelings. I, I'm more of a logical guy, and I think it's probably pretty common about men uh, not being in touch with their feelings. And when you come into such an, a very extreme situation as you're separated from the, your loved ones, I can't see my children on a regular basis and a lot of strife. I had a hard time initially. I withdrew. I uh, became very lonely. And... Uh, I think you can go down a vicious spiral when you start having all these thoughts. You don't understand what's going on with your feelings, etc. And that's mm. why I think it's so important to have somebody else to reach out to a that's counselor, awesome. but also mm. to, to reach out to other people, uh, close friends. And we talked about that a little bit last session about loneliness and how to to deal with loneliness because... I was so lonely, and that went on on for a couple of years. It was in, initially I was unconscious. It was like because I've been separated very quickly from my loved ones and a lot of emotions and a lot of sadness. But to be able to deal with that, and what's the best way to to kind of like handle that? I don't think there is one way. Yeah. I think the holistic way is to. Honor what's going on with your heart. Honor what the, is going on in your mind. And honor who you are as a human being, you know, your personality. And work with all of them at the same time. You know, some people who are fixers, they want to say, well, you know, just make a list of three people and go out and, and go on blind dates. Yes, you could but you could still be lonely in all of those experiences and come back feeling even worse. But now you've proved yourself that that strategy didn't work. It was because it's not that it was a good strategy or a bad strategy. It wasn't done at the right time, nor was it done with the correct intention with an, an intention to actually connect or whatever the situation is. And so that's why it's working out, well, what is it that's actually stopping me from from moving beyond this loneliness? Is yeah. there a part of me that wants, for, as an example, I'm thinking about a particular client of mine who wanted to stay lonely, wanted to stay miserable so that she could continue, as she believed, punishing her ex for leaving her. Okay. Yeah, I can understand and that. And so 
Yeah, it made complete sense to her mind. If I sit here in my pain and in my grief and everybody, my family, my friends, they all see it. They're all going to know what harm you did to me. And I get to prove that I'm right. Yeah. And that he in some way needs to be punished. Now, the thinking is the thinking. It's certainly not going to end. But the question I asked her was, well, does he even know? No, 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 no. We don't connect with each other at all. There were no children. There was no, you know, once the divorce was final, there was really no need. He didn't even know she was like doing this, throwing herself on the floor. Did you uh, see? No, you know, like a child has a tantrum, yeah. and then they look up to make sure that you're watching. Yeah, that, but that <laughs> totally otherwise. makes sense. But it, it doesn't. Uh, yeah. And she laughed because she, when I made that push, she said, "Oh my God, is that what I'm doing?" Yeah. I said, well, <laughs> are you? Are you? Uh, are that's you? What's so powerful uh, about coaching? But, you know, part of her really wanted to um, make him be sorry. Yeah. And, and, and so, therefore, she was going to do all of these behaviors of uh, not moving on in her life, not being happy, making her family and um, just miserable with the repeat, 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 refusing to listen to anybody, you know, maybe move, uh, whatever. The, uh, but when she realized that, she went, ah, oh. she hadn't realized that she was making that choice yeah. and that she had another way of doing it and she could become empath. She became a yoga teacher, actually. Okay. She 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 became this total spiritual awareness person and yeah. and started to take on um the whole point of of yoga and um through the practices of releasing blame and and through all of that she just transformed into another person and she couldn't have got there if she hadn't gone to the depths of of that the gift of that loneliness is is that she understands what it's like to be alone she has that empathy which isn't rushing in to try to fix it and 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 you know but can sit with somebody who's having that pain and let them be there because a lot of the time the healing comes just because someone sits with you. Yeah, that's good. For me, it was, uh, uh, it was definitely a long process. Mm. Uh, the loneliness, it was uh, initially just a feeling of uncomfortable, being depressed, uh, feeling... Because I, you know, my family was, a, in a way, maybe too important don't take me wrong but it was uh, i spent so much time with my my family my my wife and my children and uh, i was married for over 20 years and uh, friends had become less important and uh, i spent almost too much time with the family mm-hmm. in, in a way family and work and uh, neglecting neglecting having friends outside of the marriage and the family and uh, 
so when the family was broken and uh, I didn't have that connection anymore, I just it was kind of like a shock. And I, I did not have that close relationship. And then I had to start developing new friendship, which was very healthy. And also having to, having to start dealing with vulnerability and being vulnerable with people. So I think my, my thought is, why, why is a person lonely? What is loneliness? Why do you feel lonely? You can feel lonely out in the middle of a square with thousands of people if you don't have a connection with somebody. If you don't feel valued by somebody else, somebody else cares for you and vice versa. It's, so. it's neurally programmed into us that our need to be safe yeah. and our need to belong, our survival needs. So we're talking about the reptilian brain, the fight, flight, or freeze part of our brain yeah and so this is why we are wired please don't blame yourself when everyone goes through this negative thinking we are wired to look for negative thinking we are wired to look for failure because if we don't the tiger might get us yeah and so we've evolved with behave we need to belong to our tribe and that way we get the safety of the tribe, of the herd, yeah. of the tribe. We And now in order to become part of the tribe, we have to have approval from the tribe. So this is why we learn certain behaviors, maybe submissive behaviors, maybe people-pleasing behaviors. The tribe controls us. It wants to control our natural urges. You know, there are natural urges and we have sexual urges. We have sometimes the urge to kill, the urge to cause damage, the urge to own everything for yourself, and tribes change all of that. These are our rules. This is how we fit together. So when you marry, you become, you know, in, in so many ways, then an, an agreement is made that, you know, two people are now one person. We have one future. We are making plans together, and we're going to have however many children you had. And it's, it's, it's now your mind is happy because you're safe, because you belong, you're in this yeah. structure. So it's not surprising that when um, a, 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 a scenario of that length of time with that you know, track record going on, where suddenly everything is taken away, you have gone straight into your fear. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a lot of fear. Um, yeah. And the, but the you're not safe, is, you're not safe. And the brain is telling you that all the time. Yeah. You're not safe, yeah. you're not safe, you're not safe, they're not safe, they're not safe. It's, and until you begin to know the ways to soothe that. Interesting. You know Dan Siegel's um, hand-brain model? Have you, no, have you heard have of not. that? No, I have not. So your thumb is... Is, is, is the part of your brain which deals with fight, flight, and, and for the amygdala. This is the brain stem, which is cons you know all of the sensory information that you get from the body through your eyes, yeah. your ear, all of that. This is the rest of your brain. And this part is your frontal cortex. This is the part that can reason. Okay. This is the part of you that's, that has creative capacities. Yeah. This yeah. is the part of you that can communicate um, 
in an effective way. When you're here in this part, you don't have many options. They are that fast. They are defensive. You'll do what you need to do. And if this part of your brain is saying withdraw, go into your cave. Yeah. Then it's huge challenge. And so taking on practices that awaken the prefrontal. So this is where practices that I work with and strongly recommend is having some sort of meditation practice because this immediately changes the sympathetic parasympathetic. I'm sorry, I'm saying all of these things and I hope it's not uh, too much, but we're taking over which part of our brain are we functioning from. And this is powerfully transformative. I actually started meditating just uh, like a year ago. I'm a Christian and I pray. Mm -hmm. The power of prayer, the power of grace, there is no limit to it. Yeah. It's incredibly uh, powerful. uh, I bought the Apple Watch a year ago. uh, (laughs) So you've got an app now. (laughs) It's an app. It's called Breathing. Yeah, I'm sure you've got one. Yeah. And uh, but it's just very very short, but it's powerful. Maybe you set it for two minutes because initially it's very difficult to focus on just your breathing for just a few minutes. But it's very powerful. And if I have a, time, a hard time uh, sleeping, I'll just start this breathing practice for a few minutes, and then I can control and learn how to c- control my brain. And it's very powerful. So yeah, and and that's something I teach. I don't even teach i've patented the one minute meditation yeah and what have you got a minute yeah yeah and i'm telling you i've got clients who just before they go into the courtroom are are in the toilet doing their one minute meditations it's very powerful because we need the wisest calm strongest version of you to walk into that situation yeah yeah, and simply by noticing your breath, noticing the inhale, noticing the exhale. Um, I've added to that because usually there will be anxiety or fear with one woman rage. Why the rude word am I even in this situation? Uh, totally okay. However, that walking into a courtroom, yeah. not going to go well. So, shall I shall I explain it? Absolutely. Okay. So I don't know where I learned this practice from, but it's one that I I have everyone do if possible. Is is that when an emotion that is you know starting to take you over, and you choosing not to go with that emotion, because of course if you're angry, you could yell at everybody. Yeah. Or you could do something different. So I have them first of all. Where is it in your body? Where is it? And it'll usually be the throat or the chest or the gut. Sometimes it's the back. But there'll be one part of your body that feels it more deeply. Yeah. And I, I ask you to breathe into that. Imagine with your imagination that you could go to the center. So if it was in your throat, imagine you could get to that center and start to describe it. Is it thick? Is it dark? Is it a, is it a swirly storm? If you were going to give it a rating of zero to 10, 10 being tsunami, where are you? All of these 
are simple strategies to detach you from it. Now you're watching this emotion. You're not it. This is the mistake. You are not anger. Anger is with you. You are not jealousy. Jealousy is with you. Oh, wow, that's good. So you get, it is, um, it is huge. But when you're in a powerful, you are it. Yeah, you know? exactly. And so that's why you can sometimes, you know, we're always going, oh, our minds, our, our mind, when you go through a thinking like that, you've detached. You've got one moment to grab on now because this is hard work and you're really in it. It's so easy when I'm describing it to you when you're calm. Yeah. Um, but when you're in it, whoa. Right. Now let's just imagine that this is a gas. So we all know that if we try to get a, a squash a gas, you can't. You can't make that beach ball. You can't keep it under the sea, can you? You yeah. can't keep it under the water. That requires. So what are we going to do? As you breathe in, imagine that that gas of anger, that gas of, of jealousy has more space. Just give it space. And then breathe out. And just give it more space. And breathe out. And in a minute, you will see that that will just give it, be with it. Anger isn't your enemy. Jealousy is not your enemy. None of it is your enemy. Be with it. And it eventually will dissipate. Um, you know, people have different, uh, kind, you know, count to 10 before you speak. I remember yeah. once I was in my car with my former partner and I got to 333 before I was able to speak. I was very angry. Yeah. But, you know, so all of these strategies are practices. Yeah. You practice when you're calm. You practice when you're a little bit frustrated. You practice. It's work. And they think, well, he's not doing the work. She's not doing the Come back to you. Yeah, you Do can you only change you. And, uh, Do you want to be free? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's that's and, very good to have a tool like that. I think meditation is definitely a good tool mm. for anybody in any situation to be able to just uh, focus and learning to, to handle your brain many ways uh, when, yes. I, when I can just focus on my breathing that the, the, the air is coming out through my nose and back in for one minute it's very difficult if you've never done it before because your thoughts are going to go back to a bunch of different things uh, and not being I'll able to back. be focused yeah mm. it, just doing it one minute I'll, I'll, uh, it, it's a challenge for anybody that's listening right now do the meditation for one minute all you do is to close your eyes you breathe out you focus on where the air, area the the air exits your nose and then breathe in and just focus on that there's so many tools out there for people to use to be able to go through this difficult part and you can use this in any uh, situation where you're going through a difficult situation it doesn't have to be divorce it can be many many well today's different. current anxiety with the pandemic yeah we don't know what's happening but anxiety is going are. rampant mm. in, in society. And then, when, and then there is a global, like an in, it becomes infectious, infectious, just this anxiety, not the, the actual virus itself. It's almost like that as well. And so, again, being part of what is calm, yeah. being okay with the truth 
that chaos is normal. Yeah. Life is always changing. And this is part of why there's so much resistance during a divorce. You're trying to turn back time. You're trying to change. If, if you're the one who doesn't want the divorce, yeah. then you're resisting it at every single stage. Absolutely. And that is a painful process and a lonely process too. Yeah. So there's so much going on when when you bring in all of these things and the the resistance sometimes you have to learn you've just got to let go now i'm gonna switch a little bit subject uh, when it comes to we talked a little bit about loneliness uh, before and uh, for me uh, working out and getting away from the lonely part was a process that took a couple of years initially for about a year i was quite lonely and then I actually, it just happened <laughs> that uh, a friend of mine, or he wasn't a friend at the time, but uh, he, we went out for lunch and then he had gone through divorce as well. And uh, he invited me out for lunch and then we became roommates. He asked, why don't we roommate? Because I was staying at Airbnbs when I was in the US and uh, to be able to spend time with my kids. And uh, we roommated for a year and a half. And that was actually how my loneliness dissipated and i didn't realize that until afterwards you know after like a year year and a half when we started become very close friends i i was able to open up i had always had a hard time opening up about difficult things about sharing about the divorce i had so much shame about the divorce and i didn't want to talk to especially people within family and and close people and within the church I didn't want to talk to her. I had so much shame about it. But then as we got uh, become friends and we talked a lot about the divorce and about all the strife, etc., I became okay to talk about it. And then I talked to people. I started talking to people on the on the flights, people I, I knew I'm never going to be able to talk, going to talk to again. So I felt safe talking to them. As I became vulnerable with people and also gaining a few friends, my counselor said, reach out to a few close friends and share with them what I'm going through. This loneliness dissipated, and uh, now I haven't been lonely for several years. And it's a very, very uh, good feeling because I have now these close connections with people that I can you know, share life with. So, And I don't Case know what your experience is. Yeah, me too. When you're in it... It feels as if you're the only one in the world who has ever gone through this. Now, I never dated anybody but my husband, right? So all of those songs that you hear on the radio about heartbreak, I had no understanding. I only got those songs and when it went through it myself. Oh, okay. So... But when there is a, a Buddhist story, a tale, I think a woman who lost her, her baby was had died and she went to the Buddha and said, make it live. And she said, I well, cannot make it live. Why have I got to suffer like this? And um, he asked her to go um, to the house of everybody. And if they could say that we have not known suffering. They will give you a mustard seed. She knocked on the first door and she told the story the Buddha has said. 
I, I, uh, I have been through this suffering. I have lost my baby. It is everything to me. I don't know if I even want to live anymore. Yeah. And she said, I know. I lost my husband. So she couldn't take the mustard seed from that house. She knocked on the next door and said, I'm, Buddha has told me to come. And she said, yes, I too, I lost my mother. And she went through the whole village, and, and she realized that we all go through suffering, yeah. that we all have a grief and a loss. And that in and of itself means that we can have compassion. That's part of the... Um, the one of the sutras of you know may i may i send out whatever grace i have for all the others who are suffering from divorce all the others who are lonely just as i am lonely and when you practice that but first you have to do it for yourself um you realize i'm not alone yeah we started off talking about zoom we are not alone no exactly and, and, and feeling lonely is is a feeling because I, I the way I feel about loneliness is that it's due to you not having close connections with other human beings. If you don't, if you only have surface connections with people, I think it's very easy to be lonely to get into that society. But when you have these close connections with a few close friends that care for you, where where you have a mutual. Um, friendship and you can also be real with people where you can be vulnerable and open i think that's one of the keys accepted exactly and 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 belonging where you feel that you belong so what i'm going to guess is what happened is is that your what is your calling loneliness is i i suspect underneath that is shame yeah. And yeah. when you chose to not let the shame be the boss. Exactly. Then you were able to go out and be vulnerable. If you hear my story, will you accept me? Yeah. If you hear my story and you are in the Christian faith, will you accept me? Exactly. And I don't know how many people did not um, accept you. But I certainly know that most people, when you come at that level and you've also picked the right person, will go, yeah, I've yeah. done, I've, you know, things have happened to me. I Absolutely. accept you. Yeah. And so loneliness, it's what's underneath that I need to know about, yeah. you see. And then we, when we can, because loneliness is a state. Yeah. You're doing that because something else. Exactly. And so we, you know, get to the heart of that, the loneliness. It is because it's in our nature to belong. Yeah. Even as an introvert, we still need some people of in course. this world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then you will, you will want to go out, but trying to force it without having understood and healed and grieved for that then it, it, it's not sustainable. No. And, and it's experience. definitely, it, it definitely the big part is the shame I had, that uh, I had I had a lot of shame about the divorce because my parents were married, stayed married, and uh, the church pre- preached very strongly about staying married. So I felt like a failure uh, going through the divorce. And even prior to the divorce, I tried to put up these facade and, and pretend that I have a good marriage even though in the end we didn't. So it's mm. like a, kind of crazy, but. <laughs> and you can be a Christian 
and you can choose not to live with your wife. Yeah. And you may need to find the church that can accommodate the two. Yeah. Maybe. I know people who've had to do that. That was all, in a way, your own fear. Yeah. And there's also something that is interesting is languaging. When you say broken, when you say failure, uh, the assumption that a 60-year-old marriage is a good marriage, is that so? Is no, it? No. Does longevity define the quality of a marriage? Not at all. Right. Yeah. However, we all think in a way that we do. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of it is, is using different language. For instance, I don't call him my ex. Okay. I don't ex anybody out. Yeah. He's still the father of my children. Absolutely. And so he's my former partner. Yeah. Which is a respectful title yeah. uh, for me. And I'm not saying don't every, but be careful what the words that you use and the way that you use them. Yeah. A, a divorced, a, a, the ending of a relationship means that that relationship ended. We've added on that it was a failure. We've added on some other kinds of adjectives to it. Yeah, that's and good. so then we have to go into what's underneath all of that. Yeah. Do, you, do you get where yeah, I'm going? Absolutely. Yeah. I know it's so short and it's like, yeah. <laughs> I wish I could coach. For, yeah. But so you ask a long time. If I work with people, I would love to work with them for six months because you can't, it, it takes time yeah. um, uh, uh, to, to do it. But you can always get something. I offer complimentary sessions. And because of who I am as a human being, I, and I think that coaching can be such an intimate experience that you need to experience it, experience me, yeah. to decide whether I would be the right supports for you. Absolutely. And absolutely. so I, I don't sell. I do everything I can to, to, to have someone leave there feeling, well, that was a good use of my time. I've given you something. And so I, and this isn't just about me, getting support is, is essential. I cannot say this to, to all of yeah. you enough. This loneliness is coming because you're trying to do it alone. Yeah. And you didn't marry alone. I think I said this already. You did not marry alone. You married, you stood up in front of your God. You stood up in front of your family and you made a commitment. So even if you're uncommitting, don't do it alone. Yeah. Otherwise, and I, I speak you... about that all the time about uh, getting a coach or getting help. You know, any mm. successful person has a coach. Any successful True. businessman has a coach. Uh, it's, True. it's, uh, crucial if you want to be successful going through a divorce it's so important to have both good friends around you supportive friends that help you through this process but also have a coach that uh, knows how to go through it and uh, i will also have your contact details in the description below if anybody wants to contact you uh after this and uh but um just a parting word. We're going to round off the podcast. Uh, do you have any wisdom words for somebody listening? Just uh, an ending word for people? An ending word. Well, time does not heal wounds. 
we do. That's good. That's it's not mine. Yeah. If you are prepared to use an opportunity like this, you you will find you you will heal, and you can create a life. I've seen it happening so many times that it's not the end of everything. So say that again. Um, time. If time do, will, does not heal wounds, we do. We do. Time does yeah. not heal wounds, we do. That's great. Catherine Woodward Thomas uh, said that. Yeah. Um, she's the creator of the process. And so, um, because so often we just think, oh, it happened five years ago. What are you still, you know, because you didn't heal. Yeah. Yeah, that's very good because I've, I've heard a lot of people, they, it's like five years after the divorce, 15 years after the divorce, and they're still struggling with yeah. it. And they, they can't go on with their lives. And that's what this podcast is about. This is about bringing awareness, bringing help, bringing a, being a catalyst for people that are stuck. A lot of times I hear that people are stuck. They can't move forward in their life. It's all so occupied about all blaming, about all the difficult, about strife. Life, life is short. And I think it's... Uh, it's so important to take, get the help, get, get awareness about your situation and, and that you can take the first step towards healing and becoming, uh, making life an awesome life. The rest, you have the rest of your life. Let's make it great. And that's, you're rocking that, life. Yeah, I, I, I want to be that change so people can kind of like see the, uh, a bright future. And, and uh, that's why I want to interview people that have gone through this in a successful way and made le- their life after a difficult situation like divorce a great life to bring hope to people and to, to take that first step towards a great future. So mm-hmm. I just want to uh, say to all the listeners and, and a big thank you to, to you, Sonia, that uh, I know that you guys are listening. You guys have a, bre- a great future. And uh, you're going to come up with new uh, interesting podcasts here every Monday and also new coaches uh, and including Sonia coming back and uh, so I really hope you have an awesome day today and uh, we'll round it off by that thank you thank you